Good morning. I'm going to ask you to multitask with me today. I'm going to open you up to two different passages. So if you can put your finger in Matthew chapter 18 and then Ephesians chapter 4, that would be helpful. I know it's hard having to do two passages, but we're going to try to tackle it today. Just so you're aware, we're in our series in the book of Ephesians, Striving After the Likeness of God. Hopefully you were able to see in the newsletter that next week's message is talking uh, uh, somewhat of a PG-13 announce, uh, kind of a sermon, so just be aware of that as we pick up the topic of se- sexual immorality and striving after the likeness of God in that area of our lives. We do have children's ministry. I'm going to have my own kids in here, so it's not going to be, it's just a sermon. So just be aware of that. Uh, you can do with it as you please. But Matthew chapter 18 Ephesians chapter 4, striving after the likeness of God in forgiveness is our topic this morning. Hear God's word. I'm going to read Ephesians 4 first, and then we'll make our way into Matthew chapter 18. Ephesians chapter 4, hear God's word starting in verse 31. Verse 31 says this, that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. But catch it, what are we supposed to put on? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Then Matthew chapter 18 Starting in verse 21, it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. Uh, Peter came up to him in verse 21 in Matthew 18, came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother uh, sin against me and I forgive him? Peter thinks he's pretty good here. He says, as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times, or 77 times, or as some of your versions say, 70 times seven Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And we began to settle one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Since he could not pay it, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, "Have, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. Yet this man refused. He went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master and all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he found Uh, until he should pay all his debts. Catch it, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
Tom and Eric, they were business associates. They'd been friends for some time, but Tom, he began to make this business decision that ended up losing the company $8 million. Problem with this is that Tom, again, was business partner with Eric, and in their bylaws it said he couldn't do anything without first kind of letting Eric know, and he didn't do it this time, and on top of that, they eventually had to lose the company because of this mistake. As you can imagine, Eric was upset. Tom made this decision, he lost the company $8 million, and on top of that, they now lost the business. So Eric was going to take Tom to court. Before he did so, Tom came into his office begging Eric to show him forgiveness and mercy. Strikingly enough, Eric showed him forgiveness. His friends were flabbergasted. How could he show this man forgiveness that, that just made them lose $8 million? On top of that, they've, they've lost the company. The craziest part of the story, though, is after Tom was shown forgiveness, he goes out a couple months later. One of his friends borrowed $80 from him but didn't pay him back. But Tom goes crazy. Starts yelling, starts cursing at his friend, how could you take $80 from me? And his friends were watching this take place. Couldn't grasp it, a man who was just forgiven that he incurred a debt of $8 million, but now he's not willing to forgive $80? So again, they wrote to his friend, they told Eric about it. Eric couldn't understand why this could happen, so Eric wrote Tom a letter saying, I just forgave you $8 million that you lost this company. You made this company go under, and I forgave you all of it, but yet you're not willing to forgive your friend who just stole $80? He said, I've recasted my letter, and I'm actually going to take you to court now. Hopefully, as you hear that story, you just know it's a retelling of the parable that just that said just in modern terms. As we hear this story, though, this parable that Jesus just, just told us, there's, there's power in it. Jesus doesn't mince his words. In fact, what we should see is those last words again in the text when Jesus says, So do you, which will take place to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You see, the parable is clear. It is calling us as Christ followers to, to forgive. Ephesians is clear. It is calling us striving after the likeness of God to forgive. But if you're like me, forgiveness is so difficult at times. And, and many times when we, we want to forgive, the, the, the opposite feelings we have is exactly what Paul said in verse 31. It's the bitterness. Man, it's the hate. It's the slander. Do you can believe that what, what, what so-and-so just did to me? So how do we forgive? How do we forgive the father who walked out at us on a young age and made life so difficult? How do we forgive the friend who stabs us in the back and then slanders our reputation to our friends? How do we forgive the boss who treats us unjustly? How, how do we forgive the spouse 
who's unfaithful to us, who, who makes our life so difficult with heartache. You see, what we're going to see in this life is forgiveness is incredibly difficult and almost impossible without the Father's help. This morning I want to talk to you about striving after the likeness of God in our forgiveness and hopefully give you a pathway to be able to do that as we strive to be more like Christ. Again, when we pick up this topic, if you're like me, you, you, you come to this topic and it, it sounds so simple on, on kind of face value, but yet when, when you're the one who's called to forgive, then that's when it becomes so difficult, right? I mean, you, you almost see it in the text of Matthew 18 that Peter's got some questions here. Peter's saying, hey, what, what, what does this forgiveness thing really mean? Is it going to give license to people just to sin to, over and over against me? Because remember the context of the passage. You just look a little bit ahead in Matthew 18 at the front end of it. You understand what Jesus just talked about. He's dealing with what happens when, when somebody in the church sins against you, a brother or sister. And just for refreshing sake, notice the first step that, that, that Jesus gives us. Matthew chapter 18, he says, your brother or sister sins against you. What are you called to do? You go to them. You show them your fault, but you do so one-on-one. -on -one. And the emphasis there is one-on-one. -on -one. Jesus is trying to protect us against the sin of slander. Right? Because when somebody sins against us, what's our first reaction? Our first reaction is to get on the phone and to slander, to say, did, again, did, did you just see what Sally just did to me? So, so he says one-on-one, -on -one, and sometimes I understand that it's necessary to, to, to skip that step in, in, in issues of abuse or, or bullying. But, but Jesus, in that first step of church discipline, he says, do it one-on-one. -on -one. So show the fault so you protect yourself from slander. But it's in this instance that he's talking about church discipline and, and forgiving people that, that Peter raises the question. And you can tell Peter thinks pretty highly of himself when he asks this question. He says, how many times are we called to forgive Jesus? Seven times? So, so much saying it, like this is a big deal, seven? And we understand that Peter thinks pretty highly of himself because the Talbid only said you had to forgive three times. So what Peter does is he takes this number of three, he doubles it, then adds one, the, the sign of perfection, and says, seven times? Aren't I pretty cool, Jesus? And yet in that moment, Jesus pops the bubble. And he says, not, not seven times, Peter, but 77 times. Or some of your versions say 70 times seven, which is 490. And the message of the parable is very clear. That if you're going to be a Christ follower, if us striving after the likeness of God, we must be people who are marked by a spirit and a willingness to forgive and forgive at all times. Why should we forgive? Because we are people who have been forgiven much. See, that's Jesus' point. It's very clear. So, so the number that Jesus throws out is not as important as Jesus' main point. Jesus is using this, this literally t technique of hyperbole. He, he's not so much saying, hey, Peter, I know hey, if, it, if they reach 71 times, 
or, or, or 78 times, then, then you're, you're off the hook. 491, Peter, if they sin against you that much, then you, then you don't have to forgive. He's not saying that. As much as he's saying you must be willing to forgive at all times. Why? Peter, because you are one who has been forgiven so much. You sinned against the holy God. So should you not be one who is willing to forgive at all times? That that's Jesus' point. Again, we must be marked by a willingness and a spirit to forgive. Forgive at all times. So notice what Jesus is doing. He, he draws the line here between our vertical forgiveness and our horizontal forgiveness. And so many words saying, again, if you've been forgiven so much, then should we not be people who are willing to forgive? And just for a second, reflect on how much we have been forgiven. I mean, we have been forgiven an overwhelming amount. In fact, even in the passage, this number that Jesus picks to, to describe and to point us to our debt is enormous. This servant, what is his debt? 10,000 talents? 10,000 talents. This man is called to, to represent us in this parable. And if you, if you, you understand what 10,000 talents, you have to understand that, that, that the governing budgets of all of, of, of uh, Nazareth and beyond in, in Galilee at the time, which consisted of seven different towns, was only 300 talents. So 10,000 talent debt was enormous, billions of dollars in, in our day. One scholar says it's almost like put, putting the, the, the United States national debt on one person's head and saying, you have to pay that. And again, this is, this is pointing to us. So it's almost comical when this, this servant comes up and says, hey, just, just give, me more, give, give me some time. I'll, I'll repay it. No, it was impossible. But is that not what we do as well? Do we not think our good works is going to earn us out of our debt with a holy God? Do we not think that the measure of our contriteness is going to, to put us into God's good grace? It's impossible. Our sin against a holy God has created such a separation and a, and a penalty called death that we cannot pay on our own. The only thing we can do is throw ourselves the mercy of God. But here's the great news of the gospel. That when I throw myself down at the mercy of God, this, this holy God would send His Son to die in my place to pour mercy and forgiveness on top of me. The great news of the gospel is when I confess my sin that he would forgive me of all my sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west. That's the great news of the gospel. And think for a second. Reflect on every sin you ever committed. It's not a pretty sight, but it's helpful. Every thought, every wrong action has been forgiven. Everything you've ever done in your past, in your present, has been forgiven. You have been made white as snow. And Jesus' point is that you, who has been forgiven so much, should you not be willing to forgive 
other people who offend you. So maybe in our struggle of forgiveness, should we not reflect back on how much we have been forgiven for the gospel? Paul thinks so. That's why he tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, I need you to forgive as Christ forgave you. Again, he draws this vertical line between our vertical forgiveness and he moves it to horizontal. And he says, because you have been forgiven so much by this God, should you not be willing to forgive horizontally? We see it in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is trying to teach us how to pray. How are we called to pray? What does he say? Forgive us our debt as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Again, he draws this line, this, this line between how much we've been forgiven to implore us to be able to forgive. So maybe you are in this room and you are struggling with this, this idea of forgiving against somebody who sinned against you. Would you simply just reflect on how much you have been forgiven by your God and it should propel you to have a spirit that's more willing to forgive. You see Jesus' point? He says, I, I need you to see how much you've been forgiven so that you can be able to forgive other people. It should propel us to be willing to forgive and forgive at all times because we have been forgiven so much. Hard task, but an easy one to understand Jesus' main point. So what is forgiveness? That's the question we need to ask this morning. And, and as the scripture describes forgiveness, it describes it in two different ways. Tim Keller would say uh, in, in internal forgiveness versus in outward forgiveness, or if you want to use more theological terms, you would say positional forgiveness, attitudinal forgiveness versus transactional forgiveness. The differences between the two is the offended party. Is the offended party repentant? Therefore, then it creates reconciliation, which is this transactional forgiveness. But I believe the scriptures, even if the offended party is not, is not repentant, I believe the scriptures is still calling us to this attitudinal forgiveness, the forgiveness of the heart. I believe this is what Paul, that, that Paul is talking to in Ephesians chapter 4. So I do want to focus more of our time on this idea of attitudinal forgiveness or this heart kind of transformation. Of us emptying ourselves of bitterness that we might have towards somebody else. And then, transforming our hearts so that we would be able to do what verse 31, at the end of verse 31 into 32 says in Ephesians. That we'd be people marked by being kind to one another, tender-heartedness, and forgiving as Christ forgave us. But what does this actually look like? We understand this is so difficult, isn't it? Because when somebody sins against us, what do we want to do? Imagine somebody saying some unkind things about your family. What's your first reaction? Is it not just the list in verse 31? Clamor, shouting back at them? Having some bitterness rise into your heart? Having some hate against that individual? And yet what, what he's saying is that, that that should not be your reaction. How do you respond to somebody who says unkind things to you, who makes your life difficult and hard? I, I think sometimes we pray curses upon them. 
We have this desire in our heart, man, I just wish, God, you would make their life as hard as they have made our life. But Jesus says that's not the Jesus way. But rather, he calls us to put off all the bitterness and wrath and the anger and the clamor. Put off the slander. Put off the malice in our hearts. But rather, what should we put on? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God through Christ forgave you. The question I ask you this this morning is, are you struggling with this area of forgiveness? Who in your life are you struggling to forgive that even the name, the mention of their name brings back the bitterness and the hate? How do we react to the people who who have caused pain in our life? See, I think for some of us, we've been holding on for bitterness for way too long. And, and, and is the, here's the problem with doing that, because as we hold on to bitterness towards other individuals, we're allowing their initial act to constantly cause pain into our life. They probably moved on, but you probably remember those things even to this day and how they still bring bitterness. I, ben just talked about the power of words last week. And, and how words are so powerful. In kind of a joking way, I remember this. I, I was, used to do children's ministry early on, and this kid, I, I have this big nose, and this kid was making fun of my nose. I was taking a drink of soda. He's like, how do you even get the soda out of that? Your nose hits the can. And he's trying to be funny. But there's not a day that goes by that I don't drink a can of soda and reflect on those words. Words are powerful. And there's probably been somebody who said some things to you that are hurtful, that cause pain, and cause some bitterness in your heart. Depending on who that person is, those, those words have, have power to affect you. And the longer we hold on to this bitterness, the longer we are enslaved by that person's actions. Stories told about two soldiers who went to Washington, D.C., and here they are standing in front of the Vietnam Memorial. There were POWs, and one turns to the other, and he says, hey, have you been able to to forgive those who held you captive? The man's response was, I will never, ever forgive these people. The soldier responded to him, and he says, well, I see that they still hold you in prison, don't they? The longer we hold on to bitterness, the more we're enslaved by that person's initial reaction. And this morning, are you willing to let go of that bitterness and hate? To put off the hard feelings you have against some other individual and begin to put on being kind, having this posture of of willing to to forgive and having this tender heart. And you might be saying, well, that's impossible. You don't know what this person has done and and me to forgive them seems like I'm just kind of passing over the sin against me. But forgiveness, hear it. It's not covering over the sin. Just look back in Matthew chapter 18. You're called to go to that individual and show them their faults. And we've done a bad job in the church of explaining forgiveness to think of almost like a cover-up. Hey, you need to forgive this person, abuse you, because we don't want it to get out. But in biblical idea of forgiveness, it's not covering over the sin. 
It's not even refusing to take them to court or letting the legal action play out. But it's rather forgiveness and stopping your own vengeance against that person and allowing God's vengeance or the vengeance of the court to deal with them. Are you willing to forgive? Again, you might think that well, it comes at a cost and it sounds so crazy. seems so irrational to forgive somebody who, is, who has done something who has ruined my life. But was not Jesus' forgiveness of us irrational? Did it not come at a cost to Him, the cost of His entire life? So yes, He's, he's He's saying, hey, because I have forgiven you and because it doesn't make sense, would you be able to forgive other people that sin against you? You see what he's saying? How many times are we called to forgive? All the time. Every single time. So that our heart would not be full of bitterness. But this idea of tenderheartedness, understanding they're sinners just like us in need of a big God to forgive us and pour out His grace and mercy. Hard words. In fact, I, I, I want to kind of direct our attention now to how do we deal with interpersonal forgiveness? Because in many ways, this is what we struggle with most. How do, how do we begin to, to be able to forgive quickly, and the key word is quickly, inter, interpersonal conflict? Because here's the problem in the struggle with interpersonal conflict. Like, it's the, it's the daily annoyances and grievances that drive us crazy. It's the interpersonal conflict within friends. The hurt and pain that we might, we might feel living in community with the body of Christ. How are we quick to forgive in these instances? How do we go about that? Well, Tim Keller is helpful in his amazing book on forgiveness, he says this idea, he says forgiveness is a type of suffering. And if we are going to be quick forgivers, we must be quick to, to hold the debt ourselves. Absorb the debt. And what I mean by that is when we, when we have conflict, maybe it's in our marriage, or, or, or maybe it's interpersonal with our friends. Man, they hurt us, and what's our reaction? We do this tit-for-tat thing that we want to pay them back. So maybe you give your spouse the silent treatment. Maybe you stop calling your friends as much when they hurt you. You don't pick up the phone. You don't do the generous things you used to do. You, you step back from all the positive attitude you had. And it's your way of saying, hey, you hurt me. Now I'm going to hurt you. It's our way of payment. They, they've, they've, the scriptures talk about it. It talks about sin in the sense of, of, of occurring a debt. So they hurt us. They've created this debt. And we want, want them to pay it back. So we hurt them back in return. But if we're quick to forgive, what do we do? We absorb the debt. We embrace the suffering of it all. And we see it in the parable, right? When this man has occurred a debt of 10,000 talents, what does he do? He takes it upon himself. There's this sense of suffering of the master to forgive it. He doesn't make the man pay it in his forgiveness, but he absorbs it himself. So us, to be quick to forgive is saying, I'm going to absorb the debt. I'm not going to pay you back for it. I'm going to absorb the debt. You hurt me in my marriage. I'm going to be quick to forgive, absorb the debt, not pay you back for it so that we can go back into harmony and reconciliation. And imagine how different 
our marriage would be if we could be able to apply that on a daily basis. Tim Keller, who also said that the, the, the greatest of marriages are a union between two quick forgivers. I'll just say the same thing about the church. A healthy and united church is a union between quick forgiving congregations. And the problem with an American church is we have too many people. I know somebody who's, who's been offended by one church, and what do they do? The first offense, somebody, somebody sins against them. They don't know how to forgive, so they move on to the next church. This person's been to four to five different churches just in our area. And eventually you would think by the fourth or fifth church, they would say, hey, the problem's not with them, but the problem is I am not able to forgive quickly. But they're never able to see it. So are we, are we people who are striving after the likeness of God and being willing to be quick to forgive with our relationship with our spouse, our relationship within the community of Christ so that Christ can be glorified? So Jesus says, because you have been forgiven so much, I need you to be willing to forgive. It doesn't mean we cover up the sin again. We bring the fault. But it does mean that we, we absorb the debt and we pour our forgiveness because we have been forgiven so much. So again, I ask the question, how are you doing in this area of your life? Men, do those names that, that come up in your head, do they still bring bitterness? It's a daily thing. And again, we, we're going to need help in this. Say, man, I, I can't do it. I'm not at that point. But what you need to understand is forgiveness is often an action before it's a feeling. Which means if I wait to forgive just because I feel like it, it's never going to take place. But I call out to God and say, God, will you help me in this area? Will you help me so I don't have to live with the bitterness any longer? So I'm able to be quick, quick to forgive. Stories told of Corey Tinboon. So he's preaching at a church in, in Munich, Germany. And as he's preaching, this person, he hears this message, he's speaking on forgiveness. There's this man that's coming up. This man was a little overweight wearing this gray jacket. And as he's walking up towards her, he says the German people, they don't really walk up or talk to people after the service, they just leave. It was out of the normal, this man begins to walk, and immediately as he's beginning to walk, she recognizes him. He was one of the guards that served at Ravensbrück concentration camp, the same one that Corey Tinboom was a prisoner at. The same one that her sister died in. And as this man is walking up, he he holds out his hand and he, and he says, he says I, 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 that was a fine message. Your message about God forgiving people and removing their sin and placing my ocean floor, it's a moving message. As he holds out his hand, Corey says, I, I couldn't touch it. She puts her hand in her purse trying to, to fidget because she doesn't know how to handle the situation. The man goes on. He said, I heard that you... That, that you were a prisoner at Ravensburg concentration camp. I was one of the guards there, and I, I became a Christian, and, and I understand that God has forgiven me. 
But it would be nice to, to hear it from one of the prisoners as well. Would you forgive me? Corey's sitting there and she says these seconds feel like hours. It doesn't feel right to forgive. How can this man who's caused so much pain, is, and as she's thinking, as he, he's asking his hand, she reflects on even remembering the weapon that he, this man used to strike the prisoners. She says, for me to forgive just with, by him saying he's sorry doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. But all of a sudden, all the scripture verses kind of flood into her mind. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. If you don't forgive, my Father also will do to you, to those who don't forgive from their heart. She realizes she has to forgive, so in this moment she says, God, I, I can't do this on my own. All I can do is reach out my hand. You've got to bring the feelings. Corey Tinboom, she reaches her hand as mechanically as she can. There's no feeling in it. She says as soon as she does this, this, this overwhelming feeling begins to overwhelm her. She embraces this man's hand and she says, yes, I forgive you. I forgive you completely. Tears are streaming down her face. She said, I've never felt the love of God more than in that moment. Because that's the gospel. A man who literally, literally took part in taking her sister's life. To be able to say, I forgive you completely. It's otherworldly. Corey Tinboom was able to forgive simply because she knew how much she was forgiven by God. So in that, to help us be able to forgive, there's no better way to do that than partake in the communion table. Because if we partake in the communion table, it's a reminder of not just the vertical aspect of our forgiveness, but the table is wide. It reminds us of the horizontal aspect of forgiveness. Even the sign of doing it together is a sign that we are saying we forgive each other because we're brothers and sisters of the body of Christ. I'm reminded also of Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, hey, when you bring an offering, but yet if you have a problem with your brother, you, you leave the offering and you go and you deal with your heart and you come back. In essence, what Jesus is saying is when we have an unforgiving problem in our lives horizontally, it, it affects our vertical relationship with God. That it's not a thing just between me and him, but he's called us to now work this thing out with our brothers and sisters. So before we partake, maybe you do have an issue with somebody that has been holding your heart, you've been struggling with, just the mention of their name is bringing back awful feelings. Would you call out to God in our time together? To ask that God would allow you to release that. To transform your heart. That you wouldn't hold that person in your debt any longer. But you would hand it over to the cross. 
See, forgiveness only makes sense with the gospel. Because it's not forgiving and just saying, hey, the sin goes unpunished. But the great news of the gospel is that sin has been paid for upon the cross. That our sin was placed upon Jesus and he took it upon himself. Gave us his, his robes of righteousness in exchange. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He embraced the suffering. He embraced the cost. He said, because my life has been broken, you can now be reconciled to the Father. He took the cup and he says, this is a sign of the new covenant. As sweet as it tastes, would you do this in remembrance of the sweetness of the new covenant? It is not by works, but it's the blood of Jesus Christ that has now made us clean. So as we partake, we partake in remembering the gospel that our big God has forgiven us of all our sin. And because he is a God who forgives so freely, he calls his people to do the same. I'm going to pray. We're going to partake. There's two ways you can partake in the, in the communion this morning. You can take a little piece of the bread off and dip it into the grape juice, or there's the, the kind of self-served part of communion as well. You can do that. But as you do so, remember it's thine of not only the, the vertical aspect of our forgiveness, but the table is wide. Jesus did it with his disciples. We do it as the body of Faithful Bible Church. We partake together to say that we have been reconciled together because of the blood of Jesus Christ. God, I'm thankful for your word. God, in a room this size, I understand that there's many who, who struggle with this idea of forgiveness. Sometimes it's a previous spouse that was unfaithful to us, it causes so much pain and heartache even to us and our children. Other times, it is the boss that maybe fired us unjustly or let us go or, or created just a, a, so much pain in our life each and every day we go to work or sometimes it's the friend. The friend that hurt us, that we're struggling with. God, today, would you allow us to let go of the bitterness and hate? Would you give us that tender heart that Paul calls us to have? That we would be willing to forgive. I understand that's a daily occurrence in our lives that sometimes, is, yes, we forgive, but then those feelings come back of bitterness and, 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 and hate. God, would you cure us of those? that we would daily step out in faith and say, yes, you're big enough for us. That we want to be obedient to you. God, if there's any problem within the room, would you be able to, to heal it this morning? That we would be a church that says, yes, we are brothers and sisters in you, that we love each other well. And yes, sometimes boundaries are necessary to build that trust back. But when it has to do with our own heart, today is the day that we let go of the hate and the bitterness. God, help us in that. We're thankful. We're thankful for our church. We're thankful for the good news of the gospel. 
We're thankful that you put our Holy Spirit within us that helps us in our obedience. Be with us this morning. We pray these things in your precious and holy name.